What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook. And this week, as always, we're talking about digital marketing and business to grow your health and wellness business online. One of my very favorite topics. So this week, my guest is Katie Dalebout of Wellness Wonderland. And I didn't put this as part of the Real Health Coaches series, but actually the content is pretty similar in that Katie's really going behind the scenes into her own wellness blog and podcast and sharing with us how she's grown her audience online, how podcasting helped her to grow her audience, some tips around being authentic and really finding your true voice online, which I know is something that many of you feel uncomfortable with, how to actually be authentic online. And at the end, she's going to share with us how she got a book deal with Hay House, which is so cool. I actually didn't know that at all. And it just organically came up during our interview. I clearly should have done a little bit more research before talking to Katie. And so we get to that right at the end of the interview. And it's just so cool. Hay House is, as many of you will know, a really established publisher in the health and wellness and holistic world. And it's just such a cool story how Katie got her book deal with them. So I think you'll really like that. So we're going to be interviewing, yeah, Katie Dale about today. And I hope you will enjoy that. However, before we get started, I have a little mini marketing lesson for you because I'm recording this while I'm in Florida. My husband and I came here to visit my father-in-law and, you know, he knows I'm into the health and wellness stuff. So he said, oh, one of my friends recommended this book to me that's supposed to be really good and like change your life about health. Have you heard of it? It's called Younger Next Year. And I'd never heard of this book. And okay, obviously there's zillions of wellness books, but most of us that are kind of really in this world, we've heard of the ones that are quite trendy or have been popular. So I assumed I would have known of this book. So anyway, I asked to read it while I was here and I've just kind of torn through this book and it is an awesome example of marketing. So I want to read you an excerpt from this book. I'm going to read you like the, just kind of the first couple paragraphs. It's called Younger Next Year and it's by Chris Crowley and Henry Lodge. And I'll put the link to it on Amazon in the show notes. So you can just tap the picture of the Wellpreneur podcast and then click through. Okay, chapter one, the end of the world. So look, you're 53, 58, somewhere in there. You're a great guy, pretty successful, good energy. You're a serious man in a serious life. And besides that, you're in decent shape, thank God. A solid weekend athlete. Well, fairly solid. Maybe a little overweight and the bike's been in the garage a while, but you could get back in there in a heartbeat. You're a type A at work sometimes, but hey, you get stuff done. You're one of those people who not only had the gifts to do all right, you had the temperament to use them. Good for you. Okay, this is Amanda. Stick with me here, right? And a couple of months ago, you open your eyes in the dark and you say to yourself, I'm going to be 60 years old. I'm almost 60. You're awake the rest of the night. Or you're sitting in the office and some twerp is looking at you strangely, looking through you sort of, as if you weren't there. When he leaves, it hits you. That guy thinks I'm a short-termer. He thinks this is the departure lounge, that little punk. You go around your desk and sit in the chair where the kid just was, an involuntary sigh. Retire? What the hell will become of me? Last one, you're at a party. A pretty woman goes by. 
She's not that young, maybe 38, and looks through you too. She just doesn't see you as if you were dead, as if you were 60. Same thing. That night in the dark again. 60. Am I going to be 60 years old? In the morning, you suck it up and go to work. Do your job. Just like the last 30 years. But it's there, man. It's there all the time. I'm going to turn 60. What's going to become of me as if I didn't know? Okay, so I open this book. I read that. And a couple of things happen. And this is why I'm sharing it with you. First of all, if I've just got my Amanda hat on, I think, whoa, what is he talking about? This is just not the book for me, right? This is like a book for 60-year-old men. However, when I put on my marketing hat, I think this is genius. And this is exactly why I just read that to you. Because as you read that first section of the first chapter, you know immediately who this book is for, right? It's not for me, the 30-something woman that's like into like all this green smoothies and yoga and organic, right? Actually, in this book, he doesn't even mention the word yoga until page 173, which totally shocked me because I probably like you read a ton of health and wellness books. And all of the health and wellness books I read talk about yoga in like the first chapter. Yoga, meditation, whole foods, getting in touch with your true self, all this stuff. And when I read this, I suddenly was zoomed back to a conversation that I'd had with my dad because I'm always like recommending books to him. And so one time he just said to me, I think this book is like for 20, 20 something women. He was just like, you know, the information was good, but it's just not. It didn't, what we call, it didn't resonate with him, right? Nowhere in this book, Younger Next Year, does it use the word resonate. (laughs) Every single book I read says resonate like every chapter, right? So I'm getting really excited about this. But the point is, when I picked up and read that book, and I actually read the whole thing, and it really like kicked me (laughs) to want to start exercising a bit harder. It was a great book. I bought a copy for my dad. But the reason I'm telling you about this book is that It was so clear who this book is for and who it's not for. And it's using the exact language of that audience. And that is awesome. That is what you need to do in your business. It's what all of us need to do in all of our marketing language, in our blogs, in our podcasts, in any eBooks that we write, in how we talk about our products and programs. You want it to be like hitting people over the head with, oh my gosh, this is for me. Because when somebody reads something and it doesn't resonate with them, it doesn't use their language, then it's like what my dad was saying about all these books I recommend to him. Like, oh, it's okay, but it just didn't feel like the thing for him. And on the flip side, I read this book and actually I'm like tempted to get a heart rate monitor and start working out a bit harder now, even though the book was clearly for like 50, 60 year old men. So the point is, Just think about that in your marketing. How can you be that clear and specific, like on your about page? I want you like maybe pause the podcast, pull up your about page and say, does it read like that? Are you really speaking to your target audience that clearly that it's resonating with them about exactly what they want to achieve in their lives? Because I think that type of specificity is what's really going to, what's really going to work. And I know for me, I think that's what's worked so well about the podcast because It's actually just me talking. And a lot of you are like me, right? We're all kind of in the same world. And so it's really effective to just speak our language. But a lot of times when we do written communication, that's just totally different. So I know for me, I'm actually in the process of working with a copywriter to redo my about page because don't even look at my about page right now. It's totally out of date that that'll be redone pretty soon. So I just want you to have a think about, yeah, 
have a think about how you can speak the language of your ideal client. And again, that book was called Younger Next Year by Chris Crowley. If you have any 50, 60-year-old men as clients, I would definitely recommend it because it's like speaking their language. Okay, and last little thing, I popped over to iTunes to look at the ratings and reviews. And I've got, this is so awesome. Thank you guys. 62 five-star reviews, which is so super cool. So thank you so much, everybody that's gone into iTunes to rate or review it. Now, like I've said before, for some reason, there's only four countries showing as listeners. So the US, UK, Canada, and Australia, which is probably the vast majority of people. But I know there's more of you out there in other countries. So if you're in another country, I would so love it if you would leave me a rating or a review in iTunes, specifically a review so that I can see, like I can actually read where you're from. That would be so cool. I'll definitely read it on air because I'd love to see where else in the world listeners are listening from. Okay, well, there we go. That's enough of me talking and your mini marketing lesson for the day. So let's switch over now and jump into this interview with Katie Dalebout, all about how she's grown her audience. Hi, Katie. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I'm so psyched to be here. (laughs) So let's just jump right in. Could you start off and tell everybody what Wellness Wonderland is and a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So the Wellness Wonderland is a term for my corner of the internet online where I have my blog and my podcast. And when I started it, I loved reading blogs in college. I loved reading blogs and listening to podcasts. I just kind of got this head of like, I could do that. And blogs in all sorts of different areas, but mostly wellness and health and fitness and yoga, because that's what I was really, really into at the time and still am to a lot. But anyway, so I really was like, okay, I'm going to just start this. I'm going to just put this out there. And so I did it. I, I started in college and my, the wellness wonderland now is this term that encompasses all sorts of wellness. So from spirituality to mental wellness, to physical wellness, to what you eat, how you think. Because when I first started off, it was just really about the food. It was about how, what I ate was going to make me feel and how much I could move. And really it was a very disordered mindset around it. I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And it had a lot to do with body image issues that I had. And lots of people in this field can relate to the fact that I think it's a slippery slope between getting really passionate and into health and wellness and fitness and it becoming something that's unhealthy. You know, I think we have to really tread lightly in those waters of it becoming more of a disordered pattern. And for me, it did. It became very disordered of the orthorexic variety if people are familiar with that term, it's really when healthy living and healthy eating becomes unhealthy, where the thoughts about it become unhealthy. And I was just judging myself so much. So at that time, I was led to lots of coaches and therapists and mentors. And I was led to spirituality and meditation and metaphysics and an array of other tools to really help with my wellness overall. And so my blog really transitioned with me right along that. And I always say it's had many iterations of the wellness wonderland as I've had many iterations. So luckily that term, the wellness wonderland that just like came to me in a yoga class at college really can remain and can cover an umbrella of wellness topics that aren't just food, what you're eating, how much you're moving, how much you're meditating. It's everything. It's how are your relationships and what are you doing creatively? And so I 
work with people as their life as a whole and really look at all the different rooms of their life, right? You know, it doesn't really matter which room you start in if you're cleaning your house, right? If you start in the bathroom and go to all the other rooms, you start in the kitchen and go to all the other rooms. Eventually, if you keep going, your whole house will be clean. And that's how I felt about people's lives. If you start with the food or if you start with your relationships or you start with wherever, eventually, if you keep going, the entirety of your life will be where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And it's always a process. It's not like you ever get there and stop. But that's what I do now. And, And from the blog, I transitioned to doing a podcast called The Wellness Wonderland Radio, where I talk to other health coaches and entrepreneurs and authors and speakers and just creative people who inspire me. And I like to think of myself as a curator, bringing a holistic, a beautiful holistic lifestyle that's, you know, making your life as a whole really beautiful, not just your body. And I just curate that and share that with people through my space online. Mm, Lovely. Thank you. And I think that's really interesting that you just started it as a personal blog because that's how I got started too with my natural beauty blog is I just started it to capture what I was learning and what I was interested in. And then as it grew, it sounds like what happened to you, you thought, ooh, like I'm so passionate about this. How can I turn this into a business? And then that's when you went back and did the life coaching and all of that. But one thing I wanted to ask you just pulling out of your story. So it sounds like you started your blog before you had the eating disorder issues. Yeah, I did. I'm just really curious, like that must have been really interesting to kind of identify that you, because you're writing about healthy eating. And then as you're going through that process, you identify that you're having an issue with it. And like, I'm just curious how you navigated that in the public world of having a blog. It was really hard. I think at the time, my blog wasn't what it is now. You know, I didn't have the following that I do now by any means, but I was still putting stuff out there and it's all still there. And I think, you know, the blog was was okay because I was just sharing about what I was passionate about. And I was really passionate about superfoods and I was really passionate about all sorts of things. So with the blog, I wasn't exclusively focused on health and wellness content. If anything, the blog kind of took a back seat to me controlling my food and my weight and I wasn't even blogging maybe as much because I was so obsessed with what I was eating, what I was doing, if I was eating perfectly that day, you know, all of the the mental strain that that goes along with that. So if anything, it kind of took a backseat. But yeah, it was definitely still up and running. And then it just kind of transitioned along with me where I was talking more about spirituality and yoga and other things that were inspiring to me. And that was a really great tool. And I always say this to people who are super stuck and super into fitness or health from a almost disorder. And it's a slippery slope. You know, I think eating disorders are on a spectrum. You don't have to get to a super low weight to have one. It's just your thoughts about what you're doing. And if you're judging yourself for enjoying something with your family or not having your perfect food that day or not getting your workout in or whatever, it's it's those thoughts towards yourself that are disordered. And so for me, you know, I always tell people it's really important to have interests outside of that world. And so the blog kind of allowed me to do that and gave me an outlet to share other things that were inspiring to me. I was able to diversify what I was into. So that was really effective and a really great tool for me. And then, you know, I didn't necessarily speak publicly about my eating disorder on my blog while I was going through it, but I have now. And, you know, I think that I was scared to do that. It was not something that I was, you know, thought that I would do necessarily. But when I did, 
it changed everything for me. There are so many people that were able to relate to that and benefit from that. And I think it's become more of a trendy thing right now, but being vulnerable sells, right? Like that's not why I did it by any means, but I noticed, I was like, wow, when you're real, when you're vulnerable with people, when you just are truthful with people, people feel less alone and they can relate. And I think that that's like my main tip in sharing online is just to be yourself and to be vulnerable. And so when I did share that, I knew that I had to because I knew it would help a lot of people and it did and it has and it still does. And I'm still learning. And I think the big piece to take away from that is that I didn't share until I was ready. I think there's a difference between taking people out with you while you're in it and then kind of looking back soon after and being like, this is what I went through. This is where I am now. I'm definitely not perfect, but I'm a little bit more ahead of where I was when I was really in the thick of it. And that's something that I think people appreciate. They appreciate authenticity. I know I do and the content that I admire online. I think that's that's a really scary thing. I mean, I agree the content that does the best. And I think that's what really connects people to you because uh, online, because people, you know, everyone wants to feel like they're not alone, like they're, that they're normal, that they're not the only one that has these issues. But especially when you make that transition to go from a blog to business, like blogging for a business, it can feel really scary to share things like that. So do you have a line of like what you'll share and what you won't share? Like how have you figured out what's the right amount to disclose about yourself online? I think like a good rule of thumb is, you know, if it's going to hurt another person, you have to tread lightly. But none of my stuff really does. It it more has to do with me. And to be honest with you, I don't really think of myself as a business. I think of myself as a blog and a podcast and entertainment first and foremost. And any business that comes of it is something that just supports the media I put out. Like I think of, you know, what I do has like two sides. It's like the media and then the coaching can kind of support the media, but it doesn't even right now. Like it's more... I do this because I love this and I want to put this out there. And it started as that before I was even thought of it being a business. And the only reason that I coach people now is because literally like people were asking me like, Hey, I listen to your podcast. I read your blog. Do you coach people? And for so long, I said no. And I was just answering long emails from people. And I was like, I don't have the time to do this. You know, so I, (laughs) out of that, I made a, a consulting business out of that. But you know, I'm still figuring out what my business model actually is. And I think that that's important for entrepreneurs to, again, being vulnerable and just telling them that that's kind of where I'm at with it, where it's like, I'm just growing my platform, growing my audience. I have a book coming out in 2016. I don't know when this is going to air. But as I prepare for that and the, the launch of my book, you know, I haven't really been selling people. I haven't at all been selling people anything on my podcast, on my blog for years. And I've Now, you know, people know me, hopefully they like me, I know that they trust me. And when I do start to sell something, whether it's my coaching or group coaching, or my book, people will be like, Oh, yeah, I know that girl. And she's been giving me free stuff for years. So I might check out her book, you know, or Oh, you know, I I really relate to her. Maybe I should email her about coaching. You know, so like, I don't market my coaching. I don't even have a coaching tab up on my website. It's something that like, if someone emails me about it, I'll send them info. If not, no problem. Because I think when people go into business from the sense of I need this, like I need this to pay my rent, I need this, people can sense that, you know, like, I need you to be my client, I need you to, to pay me money. Like, 
I think that people can sense that energy. And it's like, you know, if you're dating someone and someone's like really needy, it's like repulsive, you know? So I think if you can just kind of play it cool and be like, you know, maybe get your income from another source. So then that way you're not, you don't have to have that needy energy with clients. I think that's really beneficial. And you'll be surprised that like the clients will flow to you. They'll just come to you. It might take some time, but like the more free content, the more real you are online, the more people will be able to see that, connect with that and want to work with you in in whatever Mm -hmm. capacity. So I think that's my biggest advice to people wanting to share online is just, just be real, just be vulnerable. And even if it's scary, just put it out there and trust that like, if you're going through it, I guarantee you someone else is. And I think it's your obligation to help make them feel less alone. Because I, a big motivator for me was like, there were bloggers, there were YouTubers, there were podcasters that like would be real. And then I'd be able to relate to that. And I would so look forward to their new videos or their new shows or their new posts because they made me feel amazing. And if I can do that for somebody else, like I want to be able to do that. And Mm -hmm. whenever those people sell something, like I'm going to buy it, I'm going to be in their course, I'm going to coach with them. And I have, you know, so that's the way that I really look at it. And have you found, because you've done both blogging and podcasting too, I mean, have you found that the relationship with your audience goes so much deeper with podcasting? Yes. I mean, it's really amazing. I think it's just because people are listening to your voice for however many, (laughs) 30 minutes or 40 minutes every week. Yeah. And it's funny too, because like when I have a new coaching client, or if I just like meet someone at a meetup or a a lecture I give, or I teach yoga, if someone comes to my class, they're like, oh my God, you sound just like you're doing the podcast. (laughs) And I'm always like, yeah. And I take that as a huge compliment. I'm glad I don't have like some silly podcasting voice. But I think Amanda, what it is with podcasting is that with blogging, it's a bit more polished, you know, even if your show is edited, well, like, there's still this sense of like, it's just coming out of you. Like, I didn't know the questions you were going to ask me. And I never tell the guests on my show, the questions I'm going to ask them And my show is super long. So it's this really long form conversation where whatever comes up, comes up, it's unedited. And, and we just like it there. It's like someone's in my home having a conversation with me. I just have a bunch of people eavesdropping. And That way, you know, they've gotten to know me over the course of many, many episodes as a person through the spaces in between the questions and Mm. me sprinkling in my story in between the guest. And that level of authenticity is more than anything I've ever written. Because when I write, I do write like I speak and I advise people blogging to do that, write how you would pretend you're writing to a friend, like picture a specific client or friend while you're writing your post and write to them. And but when you're speaking, you know, I think interviews are I love listening to interviews of like famous people and just all sorts of people. It's like my favorite thing to do because, you know, it helps me develop my craft, but also because they're so real, right? Like Mm -hmm. when someone's being interviewed, like, it's not a contrived answer that they give to everyone. They might have their same little spiel they always say about their story, but it's always a little bit different every time. And It has to do with how they're feeling that day and what they want to share that day and how the interviewer reacts to them and their energy towards them. So it's the deepest way to connect to people is to listen to them being interviewed rather than them giving a lecture or them giving a talk or whatever, because it's the most real. And like we said throughout the conversation, people appreciate authenticity and vulnerability. And you can get that the most in an interview setting, I think. When did you start your podcast? I started my podcast in 2013. So Mm. I've been doing it for a while. And and at that time, it was early 2013. And nobody knew what podcasts were, really. I mean, 
they definitely weren't with what they are now. I think podcasts now are kind of what blogs were 10 years ago, where they were sort of new. But now like everybody has a podcast. But back then, you know, no one really, really knew what it was. But I just I loved the medium. I love having conversations. I love interviewing people. I studied broadcast journalism in school and, you know, would do my friends interviews for them because I just loved having conversations with people. So Mm -hmm. it was a great media for me. So when you first got started with your podcast, did you make any mistakes or do things that you wish you'd done differently or have any like awkward moments in interviews, like things that (laughs) things that you've learned from? When I started, I had no clue what I was doing. And I still basically feel like I have no clue what I was doing. I just listened to a lot of podcasts and I was like, I could do that. And what I mean by I could do that, I meant I could interview people and record that. So reaching out to people, no big deal. I would reach out to people who like, you know, and people always ask me, how did you get that New York Times bestselling author on your podcast? How did you get so-and-so on your podcast? And I, my answer is always, I just asked. Totally. Yes. If, you know, if you don't ask, you're going to get a no 1000%. So that part was great. Recording, it was great. The thing that I didn't know how to do was any of the tech side of it. And I was very, very lucky and um, fortunate at the time that my boyfriend at the time was very tech savvy and really helped me out a ton. My first maybe 20 or so episodes, I didn't have a mic and I just recorded it on the mic on my headphones and he helped me figure out like how to upload it and how to edit it and how to get it on iTunes. And so I did all of that. It definitely wasn't perfect. The interviews when I started out, no one was listening really. So I just made them for me. So it was basically like an opportunity for me to talk to like these health coaches that I was really into and life coaches that I was really into and authors and writers and speakers and like get advice. (laughs) So I was asking what I wanted to know. And I wasn't really thinking about this broad audience that might be listening, which is fine because it mostly was just me at the time. But now that's my archive and the questions are very centered to me. But I think that's actually a good thing because I just asked what I was curious about genuinely. And my audience is much like me. And so they're curious about that stuff too. However, now my show is, is transitioned a lot and I, I get feedback all the time that's like, wow, it's been great to see you evolve as an interviewer and the questions that you ask and just what you who I bring on. And, and that's been really great. I think one mistake I made was that at first, I was obviously reaching out to everyone. And then as I grew, and then people were listening to my podcast a lot. And this happens a lot now. This is like a current thing that's happening to me a lot. There's many, many people and I'm sure you get this too, asking to come on my show. And mm-hmm. so I get many, many emails from people being like, I love your show. Like I'm this, I'm, you know, credential, credential, credential. And at first I, that started to happen just a little bit like years ago or one or two years ago. And I was just like, cool. Oh my gosh. Like someone listens and wants to come on my show. Sure. You know, I said yes to everybody. So I started to do these interviews with people who like I hadn't reached out to and I wasn't into. And I did, of course, I researched them. And of course I prepared. However, that I wasn't very excited for the interview. And I, it wasn't someone that I hand chose. And I ended up not airing those interviews because I look at myself as a curator for my audience and they trust me. And so even if it's a name that they may not know for the episode, someone that they're they're not familiar with, they trust and they're going to listen to it because I chose them. 
and they trust my curation that they will listen. So I have to show up for that. And I have to make sure that people that I'm actually excited about and I'm actually passionate about talking to. And, and so that's really important. And I interview people at all different levels in their career. So some people do have really big followings and some people don't. And I give them a platform too. But the through line through it all is that they're doing awesome work in the world. And they're, they're people I'm really excited to have a genuine conversation with. So oh, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think, you know, anybody listening, you'll find whether you have a blog or a podcast or video series, whatever it is, as it starts to gain traction and, and get a bit of an audience, then you get these requests coming out like just of the woodwork all the time. Oh, can I guest post? Oh, can you link to my thing? Like, oh, can you interview me? Like all this stuff. And It's exactly what you said, Katie. Like at first it's really flattering, but then at some point you have to think, (laughs) no, this is my, like I'm a media outlet in this sense, you know, and I need to be responsible for the content that's on it. And you can't just, you just, yeah, can't have random people. I mean, I even get pitches from people and it's like clearly they've never listened to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just just, like, they've just pulled a list of podcasts or something and they're like pitching themselves to everybody. So yeah. yeah, you become a member of the media. It's PR people reaching out, it's actual individuals, and you just have to, you know, be mindful that it's your thing at the end of the day. So do you ever get nervous when you're interviewing big named people? I don't. I think I like I have a weird bone in me where I just I don't really feel nervous. Part of it is because I'm sure it might be different. I was doing more interviews in person. I do a lot of my interview all of my interviews over Skype. So it's like, you know, I'm here in my apartment and they're wherever they are. The only thing I get nervous about is the technology not working, me not pressing record, you know, and it being this amazing interview that always freaks me out. Mm -hmm. The internet not working. I get a little nervous about that sort of thing. But like actually doing the interview, I'm not nervous about because... I'm prepared. I I immerse myself in their work. Like it'd be, I make sure I've read all their books recently. I've taken notes. I have listened to all the other interviews that they've done. So I can ask unique questions. If I'm prepared, I'm not nervous. If I like haven't read their book and I'm going to ask them something and like look dumb, like I would be nervous, I think. But I just really prepare myself for the interview. So I'm not nervous. There is one interview I had like my main mentor who's now like a good friend of mine and someone that I really love and look up to. But I had her name's Gabrielle Bernstein and she's a New York Times bestselling author and and really like a, a catalyst for me to like get into this work. And I was interviewing her and I just was like fangirling with her because I just <laughs> loved her so much. So, But I wasn't really nervous. I, it was just more like super excitement. And I get that way from time to time, but I'm very comfortable with interviewing. I've done so many that I don't really get nervous. So how do you get... Like, how do your fans or your listeners interact with you? How much interaction do you find that you're getting? Probably the place where I get to talk to people the most is on Instagram because I really love it. I love social media of all sorts. So my Instagram is a great place where people can connect with each other and tell me what they thought about the show. And I get so many emails. So that's a little bit hard, but like people email me feedback, which is great. But I found that I and people were sending me snaps because I, I love Snapchat. And so people were sending me Snapchats of, you know, them listening to the show, which was really fun. But I found that like, I was getting to connect with people, but they weren't really getting to connect with each other. And so this is like a great piece of advice for podcasters. And I got this from another one of my favorite podcasts. They have a Facebook group. And so I started a Facebook group called the Wellness Wonderland Listener Crew. 
where I was able to, you know, I just announced it on my show and people have joined it now. And so, you know, we can discuss the episode and what came up in the episode and recent episodes. And the other part of it is that other people can connect with each other. So people are constantly coming into the group and introducing themselves. And someone even said like, Hey, I'm in Boston. Who else is in Boston? And come to find out there was like 10 of them in Boston. They're going to have a meetup and talk about the show. And there's some people in Chicago, you know, so people are able to like meet up and, and talk about the show. And like, that has been the coolest thing ever. And, you know, much like your email list, now these are people I can market to, you know, when my book comes out and be like, hey guys, posting about the book. So that's a really cool thing, I think. And a good idea is to make a private Facebook group for your listeners, for your show. That's a really smart thing to do and gives them an opportunity to connect with you, interact with you and with each other, which is really powerful. That is such a great idea. Because I know you and I are both part of a group called She Podcasts. And that's actually how I found you. I've talked about She Podcasts before because we need more women podcasters to get our voices out. And yeah, and I found you in that group. And there again, they've got a podcast about women podcasters and they've got a Facebook group. And it's so awesome to be able to connect not just with them, but with other people in the community. So that is a great idea. I might steal that. (laughs) Please do. Please do. That's awesome. So what are some of your favorite podcasts, Katie? I listen to a ton. My favorite, I have to give a shout out to my friend, Christy Harrison. It's called Food Psych. It's a very relaxed conversation where she talks about people's, she's a dietitian and nutritionist, but it's just a really fun, funny podcast where she talks about people's relationships to food and the weird things that we all do with food and just really uses people's food psychology as a window into their lives and, and getting to know people. So that show fascinates me. I also love You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. I don't know if you're familiar with no. that, but it's a comedy podcast, but it's also not like they just talk about life and they talk about all sorts of things. And, and he interviews a lot of like celebrities, but also comedians and people I didn't know about. And it's just these really long form conversations that are about an hour and a half to two hours where they talk about life and whatever made them laugh the hardest and about their relationship to God and relationships with other people and how they found comedy. And I'm just into that. I think it's fascinating. But as far as business podcasts go, I don't know if you're familiar with Being Boss, but Being Boss is a podcast by Kathleen Shannon and Emily Thompson. And it's newer, like within the last year. And they talk about the business of being a creative entrepreneur. So, you know, it can be everyone from like health coaches and life coaches to creatives, meaning designers and illustrators and small businesses, anything. And they have on guests and do interviews, but they also talk just the two of them. And and I really, really enjoy that podcast. I really like them as people, as hosts. So yeah, I mean, those are probably like my top favorites right now, but it always changes. It always changes, doesn't it? Yeah. my poor little iPhone. It's just time for me to get a new phone. And like, I've just got to get one with more memory because it's all filled with podcasts. Yeah. Um, And I love that. Thank you for those recommendations because I've not listened to any of those three. So that's awesome. I love getting new stuff. Good. I could literally have taken the whole interview just like listing off 12 more. So... (laughs) So we're getting about to the end of our time together, but I really was wondering if you could just share a few tips for people that are just getting started, like blogging, for example. I know this is a huge bunch of the women that are listening out there. It's like they're just getting started blogging and people really struggle around finding their voice and just figuring out how to just what to start writing about. So do you have some tips that you can share from your experience? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think that procrastination is just 
something that holds us back, you know? So there's this great Yogi Bhajan quote that says, when the time is on you, start and the pressure will be off. When the time is on you, start and the pressure will be off. So I really apply that to business and to blogging, like just start and just try to be a little bit consistent, something that works for you, whether that's once a week, once a day, once a month, just be consistent, make a commitment, start putting content out there and just start sharing and start being real. Like I said, write how you speak. That's key. And then, you know, people ask me all the time, like, well, how did you start when you knew no one was reading? How were you consistent then? And I was like, I pretended like they were. I read so many blogs and was such a consumer of blogs and podcasts that I could see how the people who did have a following were acting and were speaking and were writing. And I just wrote like that. So I pretended I had hundreds of people reading my posts. And then eventually I did. So I say, just start writing like you have thousands of people reading that post because eventually they will. Because what's the first thing you do when you find a new blog or a new podcast that you really love? For me, I go back and I stalk them and I listen to all of their archive shows and I listen to all of their content and I read all of their posts and I scroll all the way back to their first one. And I want to see where they started at. So make it good because in a year, you're going to have thousands of people reading that post. So your posts now that only your mom and your boyfriend are reading become your archive posts later. So make them good. And then, you know, just don't be stunted by the perfection thing. Really have a mentality that's like, F it, let's go. You know, it's just like, put it out there. We'll figure out the rest later. And that's something my mentor Gabby says that, you know, when she started, it wasn't perfect. She just went out there and did it because she was passionate. And then she's evolved and changed and grown and developed as she's gone. And I have too. And I think that just you can't let that perfectionism stunt you. You have to just go out and do it and you'll figure it out later. Mm-hmm. Everything is figure outable. I love it. There's a little Marie Forleo there. Everything is figure outable. Totally. Marie Forleo always (laughs) says that. And exactly. Like you just can't, you can Google everything. You can ask for help. But the one thing that you can't, that's going to just keep you stuck is if you just don't start, if you just don't, you want to do it, but you don't let yourself do it, that will just keep you where you're at. So just ask people to come on your show, ask how you get started. There's so many resources for you. So just, just do it because your show's probably cool and I'll probably want to listen to it. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Cool. So can you tell us a bit about your book that's coming out next year? Yeah. Yeah. So my book is called Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling. And it's 55. It's very interactive, very fun. It's about how to create a journaling practice of your own. It's 55 short journaling exercises or prompts to really get you started. And it has everything from creativity tools and tools about money, tools about um, healing, tools about relationships, tools about everything to really kind of navigate you through the corners of your mind, skim away the pond scum of like the, you know, negative thought patterns that we think over and over again, really shine light on those, skim them away so you can get to the clear creative thought forms underneath, you know, the clear water underneath the, the pond scum in your mind. And so Yeah. So I'm really psyched about the book. It comes out April 5th, 2016 with Hay House. And yeah, I'm just really excited about it. It was a dream of mine. So I'm excited that it's coming true. And I'm working through edits. How did you make that happen? Because you've actually got a real publisher. And Hay House is like very well known. Everybody will know them. 
Yeah, it's kind of a long story. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll just tell the the top line version. But basically, I wanted to write a book, but like didn't know how, didn't really even have a topic. And I was listening to Hay House Radio. And there was like this advertisement for this conference in New York, which is not super close to me. But I was like, you know, that'd be cool. And the speakers there were Chris Carr, if anyone's familiar with her, and Gabrielle Bernstein, who I already mentioned, and Nancy Levin, and Reed Tracy, who's the CEO of Hay House. And I really loved all of them. Obviously, Gabby was my mentor, and I really loved Chris Carr's work. And so I was like, oh, it'd be fun to like go see them speak. And then I listened a little bit more, and it was actually a writer's workshop. So they were going to talk about their process with writing and how to write a book proposal. And so I was like, cool. And I was you know, fresh out of college, but I ended up going to this conference. And the interesting thing is that there was a contest where if you submitted a book proposal, there were three prizes. One where you would get to win a book deal with Hay House and then two self-publishing deals with Balboa, Hay House's um, sister self-publishing area. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. So they're going to teach you how to write a book proposal. And then you had to write it and you had a year to submit it. So I was like, awesome, cool. So you go to the conference. It was amazing. I made so many friends, you know, got to hang out with my mentors and it was really fun. And then I remember being really overwhelmed by the process of the proposal because it's a big thing. So for nonfiction, instead of writing a manuscript and submitting that to publishers, you actually write a proposal where you give the table of contents and the chapter outlines and a competitive analysis. And like, there's just a lot of things you have to do. There's a lot of moving parts. And I just was really overwhelmed by it. You know, I was working full time. I also had the blog and the podcast. It was just a lot. And so six months go by, nothing. It was due January 28th and Christmas comes and goes, nothing. I remember my mom took me to New York and like got me the ticket to the conference for my birthday. And I remember like going into her office and being like, mom, I'm not going to submit for that thing that that you got me. I was like, I I just can't. Um, And she's like, don't worry about it. You know, focus on your job, whatever. But it was just in the back of my mind. I was like, I think that I should submit in this. I think that I should do it. And so one day I woke up and I was like meditating. I got this idea for this book because journaling had been such a healing part of my life. And I got the idea and it came very quickly and I started to write the book proposal and I had like a week. And this is something like, it's not really something to do in a week. <laughs> like, And I like, I didn't spend all day on it. Like I was still working, you know, so I'd like wake up really early and write. And anyways, there were just lots of moving parts. So it was due. And they said like, do not submit it unless all the parts are there. And so it was due at midnight and I had like two main parts not completed. And it was midnight and I was like, dang it. Or maybe it was like 1130. I was like, shoot, I I can't do it. And then I was like, yeah, maybe I could, maybe I could. And so I I look and I remember that Hay House is actually on California time and I'm on (laughs) Eastern time. So I had three more hours. So I stayed up and I finished it like well before the deadline, like, you know, an hour before. And I submitted it and then we didn't find out for a month, but I was actually at this like huge yoga event that I was putting on in like a stadium. And one of my friends texts me and she's like, you need to like, look at your phone. And I won. So it's this like amazing Cinderella That's amazing. Story. What a great story. Yeah. yeah it's, wow. it's pretty cool. I actually put the story in the book in the afterward and my publisher, my, or my editor was like, you need to move that up because people might not read the afterward and that's a good story. So. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's really exciting. Give us the name again of the book. It's called Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Katie. So let us know where people can find you if they want to listen to your podcast or get in touch with you to learn more about what you do. 
Yeah. So my podcast is the Wellness Wonderland Radio. So WW Radio, um, or just search my name and iTunes, it should come up. And my website is www.thewellnesswonderland.com. So hang out with me there. And if people have any questions for me about anything that I talked about, I'm going to give you my personal email address and you can just email me. So it's just Katie, my name, dalebout, D-A-L-E-B-O-U-T at gmail.com. So just feel free to email me any questions. And that's also my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle and Snapchat. So hang out with me there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Katie, for being on the show. Thank you so much, Amanda. You're amazing. And I'm so glad that you're giving this platform to wellnesspreneurs. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. Katie mentioned a lot of different podcasts and resources in there that she liked. Those will all be in the show notes, which again, you can just tap on the picture of the podcast and it will bring you right to the show notes on your phone, which I've heard from a lot of you that you love and I think it's super convenient too. So I'm definitely going to do it. So thank you for that feedback. You can also get the show notes or leave a comment on my website under this episode. That's at wellpreneuronline.com slash 79. So thanks so much for being here this week. I, as always, I love to hear from you. I've split my Twitter account recently, as I mentioned in a previous episode. So if you want to tweet me to suggest a guest or just give me some feedback, my Twitter handle is wellpreneurs with an S on the end. So I'll put that in the show notes as well so you can get that. But I hope you have a fantastic week and wishing you loads of success in your wellness business this week. And seriously, go off and think about how you can use the language of your perfect client on your website and in your blogs and in your communication, because I think you'll love what happens when you start speaking their language. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here in the next episode.